Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. So we're chatting with our friend and he's talking about his bedroom furniture and how it's in terrible shape and that he needs uh, new furniture. And so we're chatting through the fact that most of our furniture in our house comes from Craigslist now offer up. Hey. And he was saying, yeah, you know, I, I need a new chest of drawers because the drawer that I have in one of my drawers doesn't open. And I went, whoa, 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 wait. You need a new what? And he said, yeah, yeah, I need a new Chester drawers because the third one doesn't really open. And I said, brother, you're, you're going to you're gonna have to say it slower for me. You need a new what? And he said, I need a new Chester drawers. I said, Matt, can you spell that for me? And he said, what are you talking about? Chester drawers, C-H-E-S-T-E-R, drawers, D-R-A-W-E-R-S. And I went, oh, brother, you might want to sit down for this one. It's not Chester drawers, it's chest of drawers. No, 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 Ashley, I... Come on, it's, it's Chester drawers. Brother, look it up. It doesn't matter that you've been saying it that way your whole life. I don't even care if mama and grandma say it that way. That ain't it. It's chest of drawers. And I saw him experience that hot oil moment. Well, what else am I saying that's improper, right? What else am I saying that's wrong? And he literally went through all of the other items of furniture in his bedroom just to make sure that he was saying them right. Poor guy. But I had one of these moments this week, this month, studying this anchor scripture that we've been pulling from this entire series. Look with me at Ephesians 6. We're going back to that same anchor passage that we continue to go back to each week. But I want you to see something that I had been taught incorrectly my whole life, really. And I even, you can ask the staff, in staff meeting, I did a poll, and the vast majority of them, even the ones that grew up in private Christian school and all that money that it takes to be in private Christian school, were taught wrong. All you homeschool moms are like, yeah, exactly. Saving that money. (laughs) Ephesians 6, verse 10. We'll start with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, we keep pointing that out, right? Because the day of evil does come. You may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then 
and this is the one we talked about the first week, with the belt of truth buckled or girded around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness that we talked about last week in place. And verse 15, what we're going to talk about tonight, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. How many of you were taught that it was the shoes of peace? I was. Even the song that we were taught talked about the full armor of God and you have the shoes of peace. That is not what scripture says. The full armor of God does not include shoes of peace. It includes shoes of what? Readiness. Shoes of readiness that come from the gospel of peace. The shoes of readiness, that's a heck of a lot different than shoes of peace. And I love that scripture articulates the fact that these shoes of readiness, of always being ready to go, right? Ready, don't come from anxiety. Because I'm a person that can naturally be anxious. I'm always ready, but sometimes it comes out of that place of anxiousness right? Anxiety. If I'm watching my kids and I think that there's a bully in the playground, I'm like, oh no, I'm ready. And it ain't from peace. <laughs> Hurt my kids and see. No, I'm kidding. Of course I, of course I'm peaceful. <laughs> you believe that? Shoes of readiness that come from the gospel of peace. How can this gospel produce peace because when you begin to understand just how much the God of the universe loves you, understanding his perfect love for you casts out fear, right? You begin to understand what he was willing to pay just to have you with him. Just for you to be able, not only to be in eternity with him, but to live a life of fullness here on earth. What he was willing to pay helps you to understand how much he loves you and how hard it would be for you to miss him because he holds you. It's a gospel of peace. So what does it look like to be ready Shoes of readiness from a gospel of peace. We're going to unpack three areas that I believe help us to be ready while full of peace and confidence in who he is, not who we are, but who he is and what he wants to do through us. We're going to go to Joshua 10. We talked about Joshua last week and the battle of Jericho. We're going to talk about another battle that Joshua was in. This is a really short explanation of this battle, but there's a lot of meat here that I want to unpack with you. So I want to set you up for this story. You've got to understand that the Lord has been going before Joshua, using Joshua to unload amazing territory for Israel. 
So God has gone before them and defeated enemies and foes, battle after battle. And what's happening is that word is starting to circulate around that entire region of just how awesome God is fighting for Israel and what God's doing. And so what happens is Gibeon actually brings about a treaty with Joshua. And so they are at peace. They've aligned together. And then five different kings who were ticked off at that treaty decide to attack Gibeon because they want to attack Israel. And I want you to understand something tonight. The second you begin to align yourself with what God has for you, the second that you begin to walk into what he has for your life, the promises, the new territory, the new assignments, the second you begin to align yourself with what God has for you, not only you will get attacked, the people that align themselves with you will get attacked. And if you haven't seen it, just wait. Those of you that are our small group leaders, these circle leaders have already begun to see it, and we're only in week three. If I could tell you the stories of what our staff is walking through in terms of spiritual warfare, the enemy is ticked off, and I couldn't be more happy about it. He is scared. And so not only does he attack you, he attacks the people that have linked arms with you. And that's what we're starting to see in scripture. So the Gibeonites send word to Joshua that they are under attack. And hey, we've aligned ourselves with you, bro, so come help us out. So you have to understand that every battle that Joshua has faced up to this point has been against one kingdom, one kingdom at a time. What's different about this battle? This battle's five kingdoms at one time. And so some of you are really confused because you've been walking with the Lord for a minute now and you've fought battles and you've seen the Lord create victories in your life and you're wondering why the battle you're facing right now isn't easier because the battles don't get easier. They get greater. But guess what? So are the spoils. Five kingdoms Joshua is facing in this battle. But guess what? As the Lord brings victory, he gets those five territories at one time. So you need to understand that as you're walking with the Lord, the battles don't get easier. They don't get more simple. They get deeper, greater, and more complex. But so do the spoils. So look with me. Joshua 10, we're going to start in verse 7. The Gibeonites have notified Joshua, and so Joshua is responding. Scripture says, so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. Verse 8, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them 
will be able to withstand you. The first area that I want to talk about tonight of readiness is be ready to hear. Be ready to hear. Joshua heard directly from the Lord, and this gave him a confidence that hearing from anyone else could never, ever give. And I want to suggest to you tonight that each and every one of you does hear from the Lord. Some of you are going, "Eh, yeah, I don't think so. But you do. You may not be seasoned enough to recognize it yet, but the fact that you're here tonight is proof that you hear from the Lord, right? Sometimes it can be an audible word. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard an actual audible word. There are times that I wonder whether it was audible because my spirit heard it so loud, you know, that, that I wasn't sure if I was hearing it with my own ears. But some people hear audible words, and maybe that's you. If so, that's amazing. Sometimes it's a nudging in your spirit. You have these inclinations that aren't normal inclinations, and you you have that pull, that tug that's hard to even describe. And sometimes it's the actual scriptures speaking to you. God speaks through the word of God. And you know that here tonight. And even the most well-meaning people miss it, right? It's okay. It's okay to miss it. And I remember one of my favorite stories of a precious, well-meaning lady that I believe completely missed it, but it was funny. Uh, I had a precious girl in our church, not this church, another church, call me hysterical. This is probably uh, 10 years ago hysterical. And I, okay, sis, what is going on? And she said, you don't understand. I cannot live like this. And I said, okay, what happened? And she had a mentor, a precious mentor that had told her she needed to beef up her prayer life. And the the precious, well-meaning mentor suggested that she needed a prayer closet. Well, this sweet girl lived in a one-bedroom apartment. I think it may have been a studio. There was one closet in the entire apartment that housed part of her pantry and all of her clothes. So this precious lady suggested that she empty her closet and make it a place meant only for prayer. How many of you know she might have missed it? For a few reasons. I don't believe that God will ever call you to unorganize your clothes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Here's, Here's how and why I think she missed it. How many of you know that a prayer closet is not a place? It's a posture. And this is a Hebrew prayer shawl. And it's called a tallit. Everybody say tallit. And if I wear this properly, it's going to ruin my hair. Yeah, you guys will fix it, right? And a prayer shawl, when worn properly, had lots and lots of symbols. 
The tassels that you see on the ends here are called tzitzit. Say it, tzitzit. And the tassels, there's so much symbolism that I don't have time to unpack tonight. But the tassels themselves are to remind us, especially the wearer of the commands of God, his word, right? And so a prayer closet literally is closing the shawl. That's your prayer closet. The idea is that you're always to be ready and continually, that readiness, right? And continually in prayer. Now, this prayer shawl is also sometimes referred to as wings. Can you understand why? Right? It looks like wings, doesn't it? And I always think about this idea of the word of God speaking to us being alive and breathing. And my mind immediately goes to one story in Scripture. It's mentioned in three of the four Gospels, and it's the woman with the issue of blood. How many of you know that story? For those of you that don't, it's a woman that has been sick with a chronic illness for over 12 years. All of her doctors... All of the physicians, everyone that she saw, no one could help. And so she ended up in a place of desperation. Desperation. And scripture says that she heard Jesus was coming. And so she put herself in a situation that was not only dangerous, but illegal as an unclean woman. She put herself in that crowd, and in her desperation, she shoves her way through to Jesus. And scripture says that she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. No, not in the original language. In the original language, scripture says that she touches the tzitzit of his tallit. Why? Why would she have done that? You see, this precious woman knew scripture because Malachi 4, verse 2, says, For you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. She knew. She knew that if she could just reach out and touch his wings, that she would have her healing. She had heard from God. An audible voice? Not likely. But scripture, understanding the power of the written word, allowing that to create a readiness that lives within us, regardless of our desperation pushing through, doing whatever it takes, showing that tenacity based on knowing the word. Luke 8, Jesus responds to her after she's immediately received her healing. She touches his wings and the healing flows immediately to her. And look at what Jesus says, Luke 8, verse 48. Then he, Jesus, said to her daughter, 
your faith. If you have your Bibles, underline that word faith. If you have your Bible apps, highlight it. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace, that same peace. But I want to talk to you about that term faith. Because we as Westerners look at that and we think that faith has everything to do with what she believed. And it does. But faith is an action verb. And this term that Jesus uses for faith is best translated as the word chutzpah. Everybody say chutzpah. chutzpah. And that's our next point. You're going to be ready to hear the audible voice of God, a nudging, or directly from Scripture, His Word speaking to you in your moment, in your season. And you're going to be ready with chutzpah. Well, what the heck is chutzpah? I'm not Hebrew, Ashley. It's actually a Yiddish term. And if you're a Seinfeld fan, then maybe you've heard the term before, right? I love Seinfeld. Chutzpah has everything to do with being shameless and audacious. It's a shameless audacity, an unapologetic tenacity. There's a picture that's been drawn for me by a, a rabbi friend of mine of a dog latching on to something and being unwilling to let go until he gets exactly what he wants. Tenacity, chutzpah. Jesus said, your tenacity, your unwillingness to quit, your unwillingness to let go, your fierceness in the face of scandal. She wasn't supposed to be there. That is how you got your healing. Jesus uses this term in a few places in Scripture. Another is in Matthew 17. Jesus is talking to his disciples. In verse 20, he says, truly I tell you. Now you got to understand this scenario. The disciples were trying to cast a demon out of a kid and they couldn't. And they were trying to figure out why. And Jesus is unpacking why. But he says, truly I tell you, if you have tenacity, if you have unabashed, unrelentless dogged, unwilling to quit tenacity, even as small as a mustard seed, then you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you, even with a little bit of chutzpah, just a little bit. So when you have faith, Chutzpah, when you have tenacity, when you are going after God for something you know is his will and you know that he has for you, you are relentless in pursuing it and you're not letting go no matter how long it takes, no matter what it takes from you, how many of us have prayed like that lately? I haven't seen Rainier move in a while. Right? 
And we wonder, we throw a prayer up. I am guilty of it. I am confessing this to you. God, heal them. And then I walk away. Man, why hasn't God healed them? Where's your chutzpah? Come after it with tenacity, with confidence, understanding not only my will, but what I want for you, what I've given you. I want you to desire it to a degree that you are desperate. Chutzpah. Tenacity. It changes everything. This is exactly how Joshua fought this battle. I want to show you. Joshua, chapter 10 in verse 9. Remember, we're looking at his unwillingness to quit. Scripture says, I want you to put yourself in this picture. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. Five armies. Now understand that in a march from Gilgal, you're talking about 25 miles of marching in the dark with armor, with gear, likely with tents, with everything that had to do with the tabernacle, everything. Now understand that this was also a climb of about 4,000 feet. 25 miles and a 4,000 foot incline, and every excuse to rest, hello, can I just get a power nap? No. They march directly in and take the enemy by surprise, start the battle in the middle of their exhaustion. And I love that picture because look at verse 10. Look how God responds when they're willing to fight in the middle of total, utter exhaustion. Verse 10 says, the Lord threw them, meaning the enemy, into confusion before Israel. Like they didn't even know what was going on. And I don't even know what that means. Maybe they were fighting against each other. Maybe they were seeing crazy things. I don't know. They were in total confusion. And then it says, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Look at this, unrelentless, tenacious, chutzpah, unwilling to quit. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Ezekiah and to Makeda. Verse 11, as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Ezekiel, the Lord, I love this, hurled large hailstones down on them. God's like, I will fight for you in ways that you will sit back and just be in awe. Just give me all you've got. Give me all you've got. Look at this. More of them died from the hail then were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Unwillingness to quit. <laughs> Tenacious. Chutzpah. Literally to the point of being so exhausted that God said, whoa, actually, my strength does its best when you got nothing left. Scripture says that. 
My strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's my favorite time to move when you have nothing left to give. When you've spilled yourself out of everything, watch me work. And then I get all the glory, not only from you being obedient, but from me showing my stuff, right? Confusing them, throwing hailstones down. It's good. Being ready to hear. Being ready with chutzpah. And the last point as Amy comes back. Being ready to proclaim. Everybody say proclaim. Proclaim, I know you guys know this, but sometimes we don't think about definitions very well. To proclaim means to declare or to make known. To declare or to make known. I'm going to show you something right now in Scripture that I have never seen my entire life until this month. And I've probably read this passage at least a hundred times because I love Ephesians. And the Lord, I literally, it was almost invisible to me until this month. In Ephesians 3, Paul is writing. And if you read throughout Ephesians, Paul talks about the heavenly realms so much. In Ephesians, the, the anchor verse that we've been reading from this entire time, Paul mentions the heavenly realms. In this same book, Paul talks about Jesus residing in the heavenly realms, he talks about principalities and powers that exist in the heavenly realms. He is very clear about the fact that our blessings exist in heavenly realms. It's hard to comprehend, right? It kind of goes over our heads. But I want you to see this portion because this is going to be imperative to some of you winning the battle that you're in the middle of right now. Ephesians 3. Verse 8, Paul is writing and he says, Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people. Paul is like, you think you got issues? I'm less than the least. I'm dirt, okay? So understand that. I am dirt and yet God's even shown me this. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. God gave him these assignments. You ready? to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Underline riches of Christ. So we understand riches of Christ is talking about everything that Jesus paid for, for us, everything that Jesus has for us to have here on earth. Don't, don't, don't check out right now. You want to hear this. Verse 9. Okay, so to preach the, to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone, this is what Paul is called to, I'm going to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. This is hard to comprehend, but follow me. Paul is saying, God has called me not only to tell you about everything that Jesus has for you, everything that Jesus has paid for, for you, but he's also called me to teach you how to access it. Don't miss that. 
Paul says, this is the grace that God gave me. I'm dirt. I'm less than any human. And yet God's given me the grace to teach to Gentiles. Hello, that's us. Teach to Gentiles. the boundless riches of Christ and to make it simple to us, the details of how to access them. You ready to learn what that is? And Paul continues, he says, look, which for ages past was kept hidden in God. For ages, people haven't understood how to access what Jesus has for us. But God's given me the grace to teach it to you. Verse 10, I've never seen this before. This is it. His intent was that now through the, through the, through the, who's the church? We are. That now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose, meaning his will, the will of God that he accomplished in Christ Jesus in him and through faith in him that we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I'm going to read it again, just this one part. His intent intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. You want to know how to access everything that God has for you? Everything that Jesus already paid for? Everything that you're wondering why you're not seeing it in your own life because you believe, you want to know how to access it? You start telling rulers in heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God. What does that mean? What God says about you. What God says about your situation. And you do it with tenacity. You do it in a way that you are unwilling to quit. You continue to tell rulers in heavenly realms, will you sound crazy? Oh yeah. Will there be power in it if you're tenacious? Scripture says that this mystery was hidden for ages. It was hidden from me my whole life until this month that my job as the church of Jesus Christ, as part of his body, is to proclaim to the rulers in heavenly realms. What Ashley thinks? No. What Ashley feels? Heck no. I start proclaiming to those rulers what God says about my situation. What I heard from God through his audible voice, through his nudging, or through his word. And the audible voice and the nudging will never contradict his word. And you start proclaiming it. Once, no, over and over and over. And you do it exactly how scripture says, with confidence, not in who you are, in who he is, 
and peace, not anxiety, peace, the readiness that comes from that gospel of peace. First John 5 verse 14 says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And I love this part. And if we know that he hears us, some of you have been praying and you've been doubting the whole time whether he even hears you. So this negates that verse, doesn't it? Because this verse says that if you know that he hears you, then whatever you ask, whatever you ask according to his will that you'll have, are you praying with that tenacious confidence that's found in the peace of how much he loves you, of the fact that he hears you, that he wants to do it for you, and he's just waiting. What if God answering your prayers is contingent upon you knowing? What if it's contingent upon you having confidence that he hears you? And what if it's contingent upon your tenacity, your unwillingness to quit? Joshua 10, the end of this battle. Scripture says that in verse 12, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua proclaimed to the Lord in the presence of Israel, by the way. And I think that's important. He wasn't hidden somewhere going, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. No, he proclaimed it. Why? Because he had confidence rooted in peace in how God viewed him in what God had spoken over him. And he said, sun, stand still over Gibeon. And you moon over the valley of Ajalon, you stand still too. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it's written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. I was even looking at that scripture and I thought, well, Lord, does that mean you don't listen to us now? And that's not what that passage means that there's never been a day before or since that God acted on behalf of what was requested in that way. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all of Israel to the camp at Gilgal. I was thinking about that this week. Joshua didn't pray for the battle to get easy. He didn't even pray for the battle to be over. Did you notice that? He said, God, just give me time to stick it out. I want to fight more. 
Give me time. Give me the ability to continue being tenacious. Give me the ability to continue doing exactly what you called me to do. God, I'm exhausted. There are no words about how exhausted I am. There are no words for it, Lord. Just stop the sun so I can keep fighting. I, in my flesh, would never pray that. But Joshua heard from the Lord. Joshua had supernatural tenacity. He had walked in exactly what God had called him to, to a degree that even shifted his prayers away from a selfish prayer, away from weak prayers into tenacious prayers that says, God, just give me the strength to keep fighting. My husband, JF, comes from two unbelievable lineages of godly legends, really, in my opinion. You've got the Wilkerson's on one side and you got the Buntain's on the other, and there's one, all of them, God is just blessed in amazing ways, and his great uncle, Mark Buntain, incredible, incredible, man of God. In fact, I posted about it yesterday. If you're interested in ever watching his story, if you have Amazon Prime, it's on Amazon Prime video. Mark Buntain, friend of God. Very, very amazing. When he was a young man, married to Hulda, God called them to the most impoverished area of all of India, to Calcutta. A call that many of us, even if we felt the Lord nudging, probably wouldn't answer because it was that horrendous. And the Lord not only called him to start a mission there and a church, God called him to start a hospital in the middle of the most impoverished area of the most impoverished city in all of India, one of the most impoverished continents. And I love the story because of what God does through Mark and Hulda. When he called them to build the hospital, Mark went to a developer and said, this is all the money we have. And the developer explained, well, there's only one part of the city that you'll be able to buy in. It's the worst part of the entire city. And the only reason you'll be able to buy it with this amount of money is because it has constant flooding issues. And Mark said, doesn't matter. My God's bigger. And he went and he purchased that property and they started digging for the foundation and sure thing, the second they started digging, flooding constantly. Every foundation that they tried to dig for just continued to flood and everybody laughed and watched them and said, you will never be able to build this hospital, this mission. You will never be able to build here. 
This foundation will never be secure. It definitely can't be a hospital. There will be constant water issues. But Mark, tenacious, took his little Bible. And story goes that he wrapped it in some sort of plastic, I'm guessing, and he lowered it into that water. And he said, water in the name of Jesus, you dry up. You are never allowed to flood here again. In Jesus' name. And they came back the next morning and it was dry as a bone. I have that Bible with me. It hangs on the wall in our house. Just a simple Bible. But it reminds us to pray tenaciously. Audacious prayers. Prayers that literally only God can answer. And what I need for you to know today is not only is their mission the largest hospital in all of Calcutta, feeding tens of thousands a day. Not only has God done that, here's how outrageous my God is. The government of India has asked to keep government documents in their basement because it's the driest place in the city. Audacious prayers from a man that's tenacious, unwilling to quit when nothing made sense, physically exhausted beyond belief, but not stopping. God is calling you to something so much bigger. And I want you to understand that the reason the devil hates you. The reason the enemy despises you is because scripture says that humans were created a little lower than the angels. So you know the enemy was an angel at one time. So he knows that we were created a little lower than him and yet God chose us for authority and dominion and his image. Your words create. In the way God's words create, you have his DNA inside of you. What is he calling you to proclaim? To proclaim to the rulers in heavenly realms. What is he calling you to proclaim over Parkland? What is he calling you to proclaim over Tacoma? What is he calling you to proclaim over your house? What audacious, outrageous, unrelenting, unstoppable, unwilling to quit, dog gripped, won't let go prayers are you going to start praying? Ones where the enemy not only gets ticked off about, he grabs five of his buddies and comes after you, and God takes him out with hailstones. We have to be ready 
our feet fitted with shoes, not of peace, of readiness. Readiness that comes from peace, confidence in what he's told us, in what his word says, in the authority and the power that he's given us, ready to hear, ready with chutzpah, amen, right? Ready, ready to proclaim. Bow your heads, I wanna pray for you. I will never have a gathering where I don't ask if there's someone here that doesn't know the Lord is their Savior. We've talked about some really deep, spiritual, heavy stuff. But really, none of this matters unless you've given yourself over to the price that He paid for you. Unless you accept that price that He paid to be your Lord and Savior to take away all your sin, all your shame, and to pour into you the power to do his will here on earth. Nothing is impossible when you're willing, when you're willing to be audacious in praying for his will. If that's you and you wanna say yes, Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe you want to recommit your life. This is a new season. You want to leave that old behind and say, Lord, I want to start fresh and new with you. Maybe that's you. If it is, on the count of three, just lift your hand. It's just a, just a symbol so that you can even mark it to the enemy. That night, I said yes to the Lord. That night. So that when he reminds you of your past, you can remind him of this moment and the promises of God. If that's you, lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift your hand now. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. I see those hands. Yes, 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 yes. Who else? On my right, your left. Yes, yes. Yes. Just in your own words. Just say, Lord. I've sinned, you know it. God, I ask for your forgiveness. I take your, your righteousness and I trade it. I give you my sin, my shame, and I take on your perfection, Lord. I wanna live my life for you outrageously, audaciously, Lord. Scripture says that all of heaven is rejoicing over your decision. And when you get home, Tonight, likely the enemy of your soul will tell you it meant nothing. Likely the enemy of your soul will tell you that you still have all of this sin that is there with you. It's not the truth. And your first step after doing this is going to be to tell your small group leader in group huddle. And the enemy's gonna want you to even leave without going to that huddle. Because the scariest thing for him is for you to align yourself with other Jesus women. But his will for you is to do life in community, to grow and flourish in everything that he's called you to. And for the rest of us, if you're here 
and you want to start not only hearing from God more, but you want to start literally being ready with more chutzpah, being more tenacious in your prayers, being more audacious in exactly what God is calling you to, being unwilling to quit and starting to proclaim in a brand new way. Proclaiming to the heavenly realms exactly what God has said about you and your situation and your circumstance. Ephesians says that's how you access the riches in Christ Jesus. He paid for them. This is how you pick them up. This is how they're delivered. He's already taken care of the bill. You just have to access them. If that's you and you want to start being audacious in your prayers and hearing from Him and proclaiming, I want you to stand. And you can tell I'm already standing. So that's me. That's me. I hope it's you. I hope it's you. He has so much for you. So much more. Yeah, but you know, I've already seen God do amazing things. Yes, He has five times that for you. Five times the battle, five times the spoils, five times the riches, five times the territories. So right now, I want you to lift your hands. It's just a symbol. And I want you to pray out loud. It can be loud like I am, or it can be soft. Just make sure it's out loud. Why? Because you're proclaiming. This is part of proclamation. It needs to be outward. Your prayers now, you can still pray to yourself if you want, but if you're really gonna start proclaiming, it needs to be out loud, spoken to the heavenly realms. Right now, begin to pray. Ask Him. Lord, we ask right now that you speak to us more clearly. Lord, help us to understand what you're saying to us, Lord. We want to hear you. We want to hear you in new, fresh ways. Lord, maybe it's crazy like an audible voice, God. Maybe it's just the nudging in our hearts, Lord. We want that to be greater. We want it to be clearer. God, maybe it's it's your word that comes alive to us in a brand new way. God, exactly how you spoke to me in this month through this passage. Lord, we want to hear from you. God, we ask you, speak. Speak to us, your children. Speak, Holy Spirit, God. We want to hear you. Lord, make us audacious. God, give us chutzpah. Give us tenacity, Lord, that even when we're exhausted, marching 25 miles and four feet of a climb through treacherous terrain. God, that you will help us to keep fighting. Keep fighting and watch you win the battle. When we have no strength left, watch those massive hailstones fall on our enemies, God. And you allow us to walk into that new territory. Give us chutzpah, Lord. Exactly like the woman with the issue of blood. Give us chutzpah. Lord, exactly like what you were talking about when you said if we have that even as a mustard seed, Lord, we'll see entire mountains move. Move mountains through us, God. Move mountains through us. Lord, help us to even know what to proclaim. 
Help us to dig deeper into your word. Show us, God, what we're supposed to be proclaiming over our situations, over our homes, over our children, over our marriages, over our schools, over our communities, God, over our jobs. Show us what to proclaim out loud. Begin to create in the heavenly realms through our words, through your words spoken through our mouths, God. Help us to proclaim. Show us, God, give us wisdom on this. We want to be used by you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen, amen. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.